I do draw all the time and I draw um, and a lot of the things I draw are either whimsical or fantastic. And I found, you know, in most meetings, I, I spend a lot of time drawing and it just happened that like, you know, fantasy themes kept arising. So the desire to kind of like um, maybe design a game for my kids and have something that they could play. Hi, welcome to the Daiku Podcast. I'm Gary Snow, and with me is Matthew Carlson, the designer and creator of Wander Squares. Matthew, welcome. Hey, everybody. How are you? Well, I just have to say that I watch Kickstarters all the time, and this one just jumped out at me for the creativity and the artistic impression that I got from it. And I just, I just fell in love with the project, personally. I thought it was amazing. I thought you did an amazing job on it. And uh, I just, I was really happy that you agreed to be here with me today to share your process of how you developed Wander Squares. I'm happy to talk about it. And thank you so much for having me on the, on the podcast. I'm really happy to be here and share um, everything I can about the process and how it all came about. Great. Um, I guess the first question is, how did you kind of get into this realm of being a game designer in the first place? Is this something you always wanted to do? How did you get into role-playing? So I got into role playing very early. I'm a kid of the '80s, so like uh, like many of us, I, I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons and Top Secret and Boot Hill and Gamma World and pretty much every old school uh, TSR role playing game that I could. You know, we lived pretty close to a game store, and it was probably my favorite place in the world. And um, and I did that. That went on through like kind of um, grade school through junior high, and then I dropped off. And I kind of like pulled, you know, my gaming crew went apart. We all went our separate ways, went off to college. And um, and I always sort of wanted to get back to that. I mean, the bottom line is like that, I feel like that was the most creative time in my life, like drawing maps, making characters, just drawing all the time, you know, using my imagination, really kind of immersing myself in that. And that's something that um, that actually I really wanted my kids to have. And so part of Wander Squares and the whole motivation behind it was finding or was bringing my kids into that experience of creating games, role playing, um, because I also see that sort of uh, in my work life. So I'm a design director at a tech company. In my work life, I see a lot of people. There's a lot of engineers and a lot of designers and a lot of people who have who play Dungeons and Dragons when they were kids or who play Dungeons and Dragons now. And I think it's just like a um, or other role playing games. I've always just found it as like this like this big central um, game design is being centered kind of uh, being something that helps them really succeed and me really succeed, succeed in my work as well. So like I wanted my kids to have it. I wanted my kids to have that, that fun experience. That's great. And then I've, I've noted on your Kickstarter and in other interviews, you talked about your doodling and how did yeah. the, the, that we'll get into maybe the, the process of how that doodle becomes a game, but when you, started to doodle and you went at what point did you go oh this could be a, a game yeah so i do i do draw all the time and i draw um and a lot of the things i draw are either whimsical or fantastic and i found you know in most meetings i i spend a lot of time drawing and it just happened that like you know fantasy themes kept arising so the desire to kind of like um maybe design a game for my kids and have something that they could play uh as well as uh, a desire to sort of focus my doodling experience. And we talked about it a little bit before the interview, but like I have a really hard time focusing my artistic skills and finding one style or one thing that I wanted to do. And I thought like, hey, let's try and make this game. Let's make that the focus. Let's really dive into that. And that's what allowed me to really um, 
So that was another central thing. I wanted that, like I wanted all this this output and all this drawing that I was doing and all these notebooks to have a purpose. And this was that. That was the purpose. Well, let's uh, dive in and actually um, look at what Wander Squares is, and uh, just kind of walk us through this process of um, Wander Squares itself and and kind of the setting that you've created. Sure, I'm happy to. Um, so Wander Squares at its core is a fantasy tabletop role playing game. It's really aiming towards um, kids nine to 12 or new players, people who haven't uh, really, um, who want to kind of find that easy entry point into the role playing experience. And that was like the, the core behind it. So I wanted to design something that was going to be like fun, quick, simple, something that might not be played out in a you know, month long or year long campaign, but could really be played in a night. And another thing behind it is I wanted to, um, because I'm designing for new players, I really wanted it to be able to guide the players towards their actions, or towards the either the actions they're going to take, or um, and also help a, a new you know game master. Or in this, it's called storyteller. I wanted to help guide them through the experience too, because a lot of modern role playing games are daunting. It's a huge number of books. I mean, I've got some of the stacks behind me, like you know about like five or six or seven rule books and adventure books. And, and then on top of that, they need to completely ad lib their experience. I wanted to create some guardrails that would help kids who wanted to get into role playing or, um, or you know, new players who wanted to get into role playing. I wanted to give them kind of a, um, a few things. So that it was more um, basically Wander Squares merges a lot of things of fantasy role playing, fantasy tabletop role playing, along with a choose your path book. So it really allows them to like, oh, here's some actions you can take. They're not forced to just like completely freewheel it. And then for the storyteller, they have some guidance too. They're given some really clear actions and outcomes. So once the, the players choose one direction, then they have like, oh, here's what happens. They don't have to look up a, a lot of stats. They can really just like flow straight into the action and the, the outcome of what comes next. So those are some of the, um, the things that I was thinking of from the very beginning that I wanted to create something that was easy, fun, quick. And that would be that, that for, perfect first role-playing game, as it were. Uh, and I also knew that I wanted to like, just like some of the old school role-playing games that I grew up with, I knew that I wanted to have multiple adventures, not just one off, but have it be like part of a big sequence. So the first Wander Squares adventure is, um, is one of three that all take place in an environment called the Winding Wood. And, and they're all an, um, a linked story. So um, at the end of the first one, it kind of dovetails into the second, which will dovetail into the third. And you're looking at, yeah, so here's the, the map for that environment with that. And so uh, here, ex explain kind of the way the card system works for you. Yeah, so the, the cards, the adventure squares, you get um, the core of the game is this deck of 32 adventure squares. And each adventure square is its own little story with actions and outcomes and kind of creatures or treasure. And the players come into this and then they basically, you know, come into this, they hear the description of the square, they choose an action, there's outcomes. Sometimes it can be um, lead to a battle. Sometimes it's talking and finding out information or exploring the square for treasure. And, um, and then after that, they choose the next square and it gets put down at random. So the whole map starts from this central square and grows out and um, kind of from a shuffled deck of other squares until like it starts really building the entire map. And then uh, you developed, uh, with the board, you developed these little uh, stand-ups, uh, little 
icons and the characters. Yeah. So all the characters, and there's 16 characters that you can choose. And I'll go into why I actually brought these characters along. In a very early playtest, I had my kids make their own characters. And it took an hour, and then that was it. That was the playtest. We didn't even get through to the game. <laughs> and so, so one thing I did in the um, for the final version is created 16 characters. There's four different classes, four different um, kinds, as we call them in the game. There's a really broad variety. And I wanted to do everything in a way that would make it really easy to be kind of like, I wanted this, the game box itself to be kind of small, portable, easy to take with you. And that's why I went towards this like stand-ups instead of um, instead of going with kind of a figurine route. I wanted everything to be really compact. So it'd be easy to, you know, take it off to middle school, carry it around with you, take it on a trip. And one of the questions I have for you is, so with the card system, you basically almost need a, a box set in order to share it. But at any point, did you ever go, well, that's a big leap to go from like a book or a pamphlet, like or a zine to a box set. I mean, that's the premise of the game is the cards. Yeah. But uh, that must have been uh, quite a, a leap of faith when you started thinking about, oh, am I ready for a box set? Yeah, I think I, I always knew it needs some type of container to carry all these parts and pieces because there's adventure squares, there's treasure cards, there's these booklets, there's dice. Um, the reason why I think we needed the box set is mostly to hold those adventure squares because they're the core of it. And basically, you know, when you think of that, it's really a visual map. So unlike a map where you have to describe everything that's happening in the scene, I really wanted it to have something where that square gets set down. It's telling a story before the characters even hear anything. And then the, the book really complements it. Yeah, I'm not sure if I could have done it uh, as just a zine. Maybe yeah, I, well, the concept itself doesn't lend itself to a book, but, uh, you know, right out of the shoot, you're, uh, <laughs> you know, your first design, your first game, and you're like, I'm going for a box set, which is pretty, yeah, pretty good. There's a lot of parts and pieces. It. Well, I mean, I think the flip side, which we'll get into, it took a long time. Like, this was like a five-year project, and it started really rough and, and, and evolved into this. So the one thing I gave myself the... Um, I let myself have a lot of time to finish this. And that made it, uh, that made, and you'll see later when we talk through some of the prototype, these things really built on each other. So by the time I got, by the time I actually got to the Kickstarter, I'd already created a version of the game, like almost complete about a year before, just to, just to be able to try it out. And if they want to make, if the kids want to make their own squares, they can actually, uh, you've got the templates for them to design their own and add to the system. So it's not locked in. They can do what they need to do to keep adventuring. Yeah, I made that. I made that. So if you want to invent your own ending, I, I added that to it. I really want kids to be able to either um, create their own adventures. And my kids have created a bunch of adventures using these. And I also, and I also made it, this was like a free download. I think a big part of what I wanted to do is, um, I'm so thankful that Kickstarter and that, that was successful. Even if it failed, I would have done all this too because my, my overarching goal here is to make uh, role-playing and creation of role-playing way more accessible. So that's why um, as much as with all the, the stuff that could be purchased in the Kickstarter, I want to have tons of free downloads so people could create their own adventures. And that's one thing I think I'm going to lean into more. And you talked about the characters uh, and we have some images here of the characters and their character sheets. and. Uh... Just maybe tell, tell us about the classes that you chose and kind of why you chose them. Okay. So the classes, there are um, there are knights, wizards, 
tricksters and um, scouts are the thanks that's perfect um those are the four classes and so basically i wanted to let people be able to play in the whatever role they wanted to play but i also want to keep it really simple like it's a um i didn't want the system itself to be overwhelming so there's only four classes there's not like 16 or 17 and then there's four kinds and the four kinds are humans elves gnomes and fairies and gnomes kind of stand in for dwarfs in my my universe as well so um but i added fairies because that that felt like something that was new that hadn't really been done before and would have a little bit more whimsy so here's an elf and a fairy and then i um the reason i created 16 characters for the first game is i really wanted people to be able to i wanted kids whoever they are to be able to see themselves in these pictures to be able to find one of these characters that either like hey that looks like me or that looks like something i want to be or that resonates with me um and that's why i tried to like create a pretty broad set well I, you know just great and then when you originally started we have some doodles here that uh or notes that for your inspiration and you talked about the whimsy of your design and your and all those um, things that you mentioned there, Dungeons and Dragons, Zelda, Adventure Time, and like, they all really shine through on this. Like if I was a kid, I would absolutely love <laughs> to explore this little world. Yeah, I mean, these are all the favorite things from that I love to watch and the books I love to read and, and certainly my kids as well. And so I wanted to make something that, that would seem inspiring, really magical, like, uh, incredibly imaginative, but not too scary. Cause that's one thing, like I wanted to make sure that like this first experience isn't something that like, that players would walk away feeling dark or terrified. It's definitely more towards the whimsical. If I had to like mash it up, it is that sort of um, Dungeons and Dragons, Adventure Time, Spirited Away combo that I'm, that I'm trying to go for in everything that I create here. At any point, did you kind of question the target audience as far as like, it? It's obviously meant for kids, but the people that are actually purchasing it are going to be the parents. And how did you kind of reconcile that? Well, I mean, a lot of it, I think, is is appealing to nostalgia. Like, this is something that I would, if I hadn't made it, I would definitely go and buy it off Kickstarter for my kids. Uh, the, the, um, but I hope that in, like, everything, I tried to expose as much of the game as possible on the Kickstarter and on my website so that parents could come in and really get a good sense of it and, and the purpose of the game and understand what it's for. And um, your artistic process, because I mean, that is for me, the, everything is great about the game, but your art is really what sells it for me. It's just, it hits that sweet spot of the, as you described, like the adventure time and like that kind of whimsy and Wizard of Oz and all those types of things put together for kids. It, I'm actually uh, going to pitch to you that you should do a children's book because like this is like incredible artwork, but can you just tell us how you go from your doodle uh, to the finished product? Yeah. And I should tell, I should share right up with that. I've, I've pitched children's books a lot and had tons and tons of rejections. So that's one thing why I'm kind of a fan of Kickstarter is this is a chance to just like, okay, let me put it out straight to the public and see if people would like this. And yeah, I definitely imagine there being, I think there's gonna be more and more story elements um, coming out uh, through the course of this. But like one thing, the reason why everything in this is as modular as it is, is um, I don't feel a great de degree of confidence as a writer, but I feel like I can write a square. 
I can write a tiny adventure that happens in a tiny square and have that really resonate. So this format really lent itself to um, feeling like, hey, this is something I can do. And it was also something that I could chop off and do like in little pieces of time, like on the ferry or on the commute or, you know, late at night or early in the morning, just like, you know, draw one square, write one little chunk of adventure. And then gradually over time, it built into the, the fuller book. And the names that you've come up with, I mean, they're quite charming, you know, the box night. And yeah. And that, and that, um, that is a bad guy that you will meet probably at the third end of the third adventure and that you will not want to meet them. So that is an agent of, um, there's a, a big bad guy floating out in the universe that is sort of behind all this disruption that's happening all these, on all these different magical worlds. And, um, and you will not be ready to meet that person that, until a long time <laughs> but certainly not at the end of the, of the first three adventures yeah and and so what software do you use to get your images to this stage yeah so i used you know a lot of what you're seeing is a lot of this started with hand drawings actually you know almost everything starts with a with a, a doodle and a notebook where i capture the ideas but then i used um at first i used a program called procreate and now i exclusively now i use a program almost everything that you about can see in the later work or in all the future work is all in Adobe Fresco. So I'm drawing the squares, this next set of squares and, um, and all the artwork is, is more and more in Adobe Fresco. So I do, there, I, I would, yeah, go ahead. Well, is there a certain brushes that you use? Like, is it watercolor or do you do like line art and then, um, pets and then uh, do the lines a little thicker and just kind of go from there? I think, um, first I blot out, I use some big fat chalk brush and, and map out major shapes and try and kind of um, get a composition going. And like, yeah, perfect example. So here, uh, the, the very first pass is I'm just blocking stuff out with um, whatever broad stroke brush I can find. And then I, I sketch over and over and over. And I use the, the ability within programs like this to kind of like, um, to work in layers and keep building up until like, I probably sketch over like each one of these, I probably sketched over four or five times, starting with a really ugly rough sketch and then, and then moving things around, refining things, getting the, um, the, everything kind of in its right place. And then I'll do a, a final drawing and then color it in and then shade it in. And by that time, after, by the end of it, once I'm like dropping in the final colors, it's pretty easy at that point because I've like blocked out all the major shapes, but the most painstaking part of the process I think is getting the composition straight and then just doing this, the kind of black and white line work that you're seeing here. And how much does each one of these images, like as far as time commitment take for you, do you think if you had to ballpark it? I would say each one of, and because I'm slow, like I'm not an illustrator by trade, this is still like my hobby. Each one of these probably took um, a week because I'm not doing it full time. You know, I'm doing it like because it's like late yeah. night or early morning time. But if but if you calculated the total hours of uh, to to get to a final one, like an hour think, or two I hours. I think each one each one of these is each one of these is probably an eight hour drawing. Wow. Yeah. Well, it beautiful stuff, and that this one I mentioned to you uh, that I really really like. It's just it's got like an essence to it. But you said this is one of your earliest uh, drawings. Right. Yeah, and I, I think um, I, I think I'm I'm always learning as a illustrator, and I'm all and I'm and I'm way at the beginning of my process as a game designer. Um, but this is I was trying to teach myself how to draw backgrounds, 
And here I just traced off some cliffs in Iceland. I wanted this to be a cold place, but um, I did kind of traced off some shapes from a cliffs in Iceland and then just brushed over it with these big ink roller brushes to create this a little bit of the texture. And then I wanted this ominous, weird teardrop ice monster in the front with a tiny boat. Like I wanted this to really be kind of like a, a brooding ominous picture. And I think I, I think I succeeded, but, um, but this was just experiments to really get better at drawing backgrounds. Yeah. And so you've got this incredible art and this really good idea for the game. And you went to the process of play testing, which not everybody does, but how important was the play testing to the final product? And what was the methodology behind that? I mean, my methodology was using my captive playtesters to do as much of work through as much of the early stages as possible. So I put my kids through about kids and my my wonderful wife through about um, three playtests of this. And I think what you're looking at right right now, um, this is the second one. This was the playtest that where um, everything got gobbled up by uh, creating the player characters. You can see my daughter there um, busily working away at her characters, and she got more immersed in that in the game. So I think we played maybe like, you know, half of the game and didn't quite solve the adventure that time. But, um, and my kids, I mean, I, a lot of this was my, my selfish attempt as a parent to keep my kids um, involved in art. We used to do these family drawings all the time and I wanted this game to be something that, that we could all work on together. And we all did, so it was fun. A lot of these early stages, they were really contributing to it. But, um, but I learned a lot through the play tests about one, that after that play test, I'm like, okay, I need to pre-make the characters and just bake that in so people can just pick it up and go. Because otherwise a, a kid is gonna face so many choices and be, they might not even get to the game if they have to make their own character beforehand. So after that first play test, okay, I'm making the characters and I'm gonna let them take them in. And then, um, but I also, you know, and now you're seeing some of the rough cards from the early stage. At, at every point, I wanted to keep everything as rough as possible in the early stages. So everything was like hand-drawn, ballpoint on paper for a really long time. Uh, on these like um, decks of cards. I think I got them from Paper Source or something like that. And because um, I wanted to be able to like swap out things. I wanted everything on this to be like, hey, that's not working. I can swap that out with a different card or hey, that Adventure Square isn't quite perfect yet. I want to change the story because I'm still learning a lot as a game designer. I'm, I would say I'm at the beginning of my journey. I wanted to make sure that all the parts and pieces here were, were things that I could easily change out. So I wouldn't get too locked into one magic card or one adventure square or one story. I wanted to have everything be really modular. Well, and then uh, here's, you know, really good picture of your family playing the game. And that must've been like, I'm guessing during uh, the COVID lockdowns and that kind of thing, it was probably was, a really good family activity. Yeah, this was right before. So we we had one quick getaway up to uh, a Lake, Lake Tahoe and we played the game in its full glory for the first time at that and they flip to the next um, picture and you kind of see the squares unfolding. And this was when the game I think was in its in its clearest form. And then the um, one nice thing about it is this is where I started learning a lot about um, after this game, I realized a couple of things, but the biggest thing here is like the battles went too slowly. So after this play test, when we were actually trying everything out and getting through the squares and we got through the entire game all through to completion and played it all out, and it took um, and it took a decent amount of squares. They they were able to enjoy a lot of the adventure before we get to the end. But uh, the one thing I realized is that the process of battles was slowing down the whole adventure. And so I, I wanted this to be super simple. And so I totally after that last playtest, I really changed the structure towards 
battles to simplify it to its current state. And um, it not necessarily part of the play test, but as part of your overall process, just like your squares that you give the uh, kids a chance to actually design their own squares, I thought it was a really good touch to add, you know, draw your own uh, monsters, characters, and, um, and you actually teaching them your doodling process. Yeah, and, and that first that first thing you showed before that showed like all of the monsters together. Yeah, I wanted the kids to be able to go like, um, oh, if I needed to make an adventure, I need to like draw some monsters. Here's some good thought starters. So I wanted them to be able to like either print it out and, and trim them out or look at those as some things that we could draw off of. So I really try and go with basic shapes and things that would be easy for a kid to draw. That was, I think that's one other theme with like the maps with everything else. I want to try and do it in a way where a kid could look at that and say like, hey, I could do that. And then this is uh, totally borrowing from one of my favorite artists that I, um, there's an artist named Ed Emberley that, that is like really, that teaches kids how to draw things out of simple shapes. And so I wanted to have one part of that be in this as well. So you can like pick your shape, pick your ornaments, pick your eyes, mouths, and suddenly you've got a monster. Well, that's great. And, uh, and then here's a shot of some of the squares in, uh, in full bloom on the table. And... Yeah, and it's been really interesting. So everything starts at that square in the middle, that zero one, but then it can go in any direction. And so it's good to play this game on a really wide table. That's the one, the one bit of advice I'd have because like it starts to spread out. And, um, and hopefully you have, you have you know, kids or players who don't just try and go in a single line, but do like sort of circling around a little bit. Um, but yeah, so the, the way the game plays is you have to, there's three squares that are like the big bosses that once you find those, then that unlocks the final square and you can win the adventure. But they could come at any point in the deck. And then so, yeah, and every time you get one of them, so here you can see, I think this is from, yeah, one of our first play tests, but it's always interesting to watch the way that the map grows, how soon they find one of those first major squares. And, th and then when you find the first major square, if there's um, a portal opens up, that allows you to sort of shortcut Zelda style back to any other portal or to the first square. And so then you've got these ways to jump around the adventure and jump around the map. And it, but it's different for um, every player, every time it, the map is, takes a different sort of form. And so you've done the play testing and now you're like, okay, I got to get it to market or Kickstarter. Yeah. What was that process like? Um, and even the timing of it, I couldn't help but notice it was uh, like, right before Christmas holidays. Um, and oh, I made so many bad choices. I, I think that the reason why I did the Kickstarter when I did is, yeah, it was that year when we really saw um, a global pandemic bloom. And I was going to try and go the route. The reason why I developed the game to the extent that it did is I was really hoping to start going to conferences and, um, and trying it out and demoing it with other players. And then I'm like, okay. And then at the end of the year in the fall, hopefully doing my Kickstarter, but then, you know, the world crashed to a halt. And I'd worked so long on this that I really wanted to, to get it out there. And so I just picked that date. I said, you know, this, we're gonna roll this out in, um, in October. And it was, you know, <laughs> we're in the US. It was the craziest election that we've ever had in the middle of a pandemic, right before Halloween. And I'll just say, I could have made better choices. You know, <laughs> so that was a that was like that was and out there. If you're going to start a Kickstarter, don't um, don't don't make those mistakes. That was pretty funny. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, what kind of in the the tiers that you chose and the pricing that you chose, and I mean, some you know designers can learn from uh, yeah. your 
your Kickstarter and your process and your design choices as far as like, how did you set the price and were you confident in it and your, in your goals and your targets and, and what factors went into making those decisions? Yeah, it was, well, this is my first Kickstarter and really, and I, I, um, went purposely small. I just wanted to to basically, um, print 500 boxes was, was my goal, which is not a huge goal. Um, and, and I wanted to, because it was my first, first Kickstarter, I wanted to be conservative. And I think one of the main things that I, that I strove for, which I did is I wanted to cover my printing costs. So I did one, unlike a lot of Kickstarters where, um, a lot of, I mean, if you're printing figurines or really complex boards, or or if your game is um, is a very complex game, you're most likely printing it in China, and which adds another level of time, risk, um, everything to the equation. I made the decision to try work with local printers uh, in North America to try and mitigate that risk a little bit, and so. Consequently, or like, you know, one aspect of that is like the game is more expensive than, than it could have been had I gone a, a different route or printed it all in China. Um, but I was able to do a slightly better job of controlling my time and when I was going to get all the materials and control the process and a little bit more. But I set the price based on what it would cost to, to print the material, print the booklets, the squares, the boxes. Um, and then it only uses six-sided dice. So I don't, didn't have like a really special crazy dice that I was um, choosing. And that was purposeful as well. And so really my, I set my costs based on, um, based on what it would cost to get this adventure out. It, um, I'm still in the midst of boxing up some of the sets that didn't sell during the adventure and selling those off and trying to like, you know, make sure I make a profit that way. Um, I haven't made a, a big significant, this is my first Kickstarter. My goal is just like, can I just like not have a loss? Like that was, that was my goal. Get this out there, get this game out there. Um, and it's my first game and, you know, and do okay, which we did. Well, I, you know, I thought it was really uh, well done and uh, I really enjoyed your marketing and like, I would see your posts on Instagram every day and I'd like them. And I, yeah. you know, I just, like I said, I fell in love with the artwork and uh, the, the whimsy of the whole story. And, uh, and I was a backer myself. So uh, I Thank thought so it was much. really, really well done. And, uh, but you got, uh, as we kind of alluded to earlier, you got pretty close. Uh, you got it funded in 26 days. Yeah. Of the 30 and uh do you kind of go wow what, what would have happened if i had done things differently or set different goals or yeah i think um here's one of the big you know i talked about all the mistakes i made but one of the biggest mistakes i made was um not delving deeper into some of the different communities and groups out there that are that were probably a huge chunk of my audience that I didn't, that I hadn't met yet. So once you start the Kickstarter, suddenly I found out about like five different Facebook groups that are all about like tabletop gaming or game design or, or game marketing that suddenly I dove into those and, um, and met a lot of people who I should have met about two months earlier. So like in an ideal world, what I would have done is worked with, um, content creators like yourself, worked with game reviewers, got the game out there in people's hands. Um, so that they could review it and build awareness for the game before I before I jumped into the Kickstarter. And I did that as I was running the Kickstarter, but it got pretty close. Like, yes, it funded in the 26th day, but it could have not funded. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy, I'm happy that I didn't go down to the wire. <laughs> well, and then um, I guess 
the other things that I'd probably ask you is like, what advice besides those would you give to designers as far as like, it's a, it's a, often a big leap to get to this point yeah. where you actually have a game to pitch or sell. And did you ever at any point kind of go, boy, this is too big for me. I think the only reason that I didn't, um, the thing that gave me confidence is um, that I had been working on this for so long and that every person who touched one of the prototypes or saw some of the early art was like, oh, you should really do something with this. So I had enough cheerleaders who were kind of backing me on to figure out, hey, I do really need to do something with this and I do need to launch it. And the time that I chose to launch it was a little rough, but it worked and it was better than, um, than waiting any longer. Five games, I think, I think five years was like, uh, that's time enough <laughs> to, to, to get ready to launch. I had, a lot, of, I had a, a lot of good feedback along the way that gave me confidence. That's also, great. the only other thing being there is like, there's also a gap in the market. And part of what I was looking at is like, there's, a, there's so like serious, super complex games on Kickstarter. Um, and, and then there's things like Dungeons and Dragons that are incredible, like so robust, but nothing was really being made for, for kids. Nothing was really being made to kind of introduce kids into the hobby. And, um, and I wanted to, to create that. So I thought there was like an open gap that I could that I could try and fill. And so next steps for you, um, let me uh, bring up the uh, the Golden Hive um, on the screen here. The uh, so this is your second adventure. Is it going to Kickstarter or what's your plans for it? I'm definitely going to go to Kickstarter, and I'm trying to pick my date. It's either going to be probably February, um, you know, late February or or mid March. I'm thinking for the launch of this one, I've got the um, adventure, a lot of the art done. I've got kind of an outline of the different squares and I'm like chipping away at the squares bit by bit. But basically this, the second one still takes place in the, in um, the winding wood. It's a case of, of sibling rivalry and, um, and invasion and, and sort of uh, happening all within this massive beehive that sits on top of a oak that is like, you know, the, the tallest tree in the forest. And you're going to go in there to understand, you know, who invaded, what happened, and try and kind of bring the queen back to her throne. That's the goal of this one. And once again, you're playing the wander kind, which are sort of these, like, you know, wandering do-gooders who are coming in to try and like restore balance and order. And and this this um, they're going to kind of dive and you know climb up into the golden hive and try and uh, right all the wrongs and figure out you know what mystery is happening there. But I'm in the process of drawing those right now. And are you are they going to be in a, another box set now that you've yeah. got that down pat? It'll be it'll the primary part of it is going to be an, another set of thirty two squares, um, thirty two uh, kind of uh, treasure cards, and another booklet. But it won't have the players. So um, it'll just be like as I do these further adventures, I'm hoping to make them cheaper and more accessible because um, it, they won't also have the players, the sixteen players, and the players um, and the um, the um, you know the player's guide. They're really just going to be just the pure adventure this time. And if somebody wanted to get the original Wander Squares box set, can they still do that? Can they still buy it from you? I do have. Yeah, I'm going to be setting up a web store really um, uh, in December to sell the remaining uh, squares from the first Kickstarter. But then I'm going to do a reprint 
uh, or you know, a second edition that will go along with the next adventure. So if you missed Wonder Squares on the first Kickstarter, you can buy the Golden Hive and buy the first adventure. You can buy basically both box sets is my goal. Well, it all sounds really good. And I'm excited to see uh, the next iteration of it and uh, the next adventure. And like I said, uh, I'm just smitten with your artwork. I think it's fantastic. Um, everybody that sees it, uh, I think just loves it. And and so I, I can't wait to see the next versions of it. And then I'll make sure that all the notes to your website and your old Kickstarter and uh, so that they can follow you for the new Kickstarter are available on the notes. But um, once again, I just want to thank you for joining me today. And I really appreciate you sharing your process. And I think it's a good learning uh, story for a lot of designers out there. And I wish you the best of luck in the future. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me on. This has been great.